stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. Hello, and welcome to the Damn Good Podcast, the, I guess, second overall edition, the first post-Notre Dame edition, and the first one with Damn Good Dog, Rennie Curran. Rennie, hello. Welcome to the show. Seth, what's going on, man? I'm glad to be on. Glad to join you. It's an honor to be a part of the show. The honor and the pleasure is ours, and you and I, well, let's get right into it, uh, Let's not delay the talk about the Notre Dame game because it was a big enough deal, obviously. You and I, I I met you on the sidelines as the game was ending. You were taking it all in. Um, I got down to the sidelines because the regular media, us unwashed media people, are relegated to the press box and we can't get down to the field until about five minutes left in the game. What about – so – you, however, were on the field, I guess, for the whole thing. I mean, you were introduced to the crowd. and So tell me what it was like as a guy who's played on that field. What, what was that whole atmosphere like? Oh, man, it's, uh, it's always special, you know, when you get a chance to come back as a former player. Sometimes it is kind of bittersweet because you have just so many memories and then so many things are just the same. Like, I don't care how many new adjustments or, you know, they add a new scoreboard and new lights or whatever it is. Um, there's so many things that, that are just the same. The the feel that you get when you walk out on the field, the adrenaline rush that you get, uh, just seeing all the fans uh, stack up. Uh, a lot of the staff are still the same. Like uh, I saw referees that were still there, that were there when I was there, huh. reporters that were there. I mean, even like uh, Dean Leggy, you know, who was there during my recruiting days. Uh, so it just has a lot of that same feel. And then um, I, I had the chance to, be around the uh, recruits even, you know, so getting to have some conversations with them. Didn't really remember their names, but just <laughs> kind of saw myself in them, you know, <laughs> and just asked them, you know, hey, what school are you from, what position, all that. And then in the middle of that conversation, here come the guys uh, coming out to warm up. So I got to see the linebackers warm up and uh, holler at them for a little bit, guys like Monty Rice and, and Nolan Smith and all the guys. So it was just awesome, man, to be back uh, out there. You don't realize how special it is when you're playing, when you're going through the, the daily grind, you know, when you're 18 to 20 years old and you're just trying to make it, you know, you're in college and, and your biggest goal is, you know, to help your family, to, to get your degree, to get on the field if you're a freshman. And then it, it goes by so fast. So eventually you're 30 years old like me <laughs> and then you're back in the field, just taking it all in, reliving those memories, man. So it was special. What about the light show and, and all the, the pregame theatrics and everything they were doing during the game? How different is that from Man, it was, yeah. it was crazy, man. I'm not going to lie. And uh, Sean Chappas, who's one of my former teammates, who's now part of, I think he, he's basically the head of the uh, field operations, yes. or the things that go on with yes. the stadium. Yeah, he's done an amazing job. Him and Josh Brooks. Josh was climbing his way up when I was at University of Georgia, and now he's like third in command. Uh, and it's amazing to see what those guys have done with the stadium. I mean, with the locker room, the lights. I mean, I definitely felt like I was at a rock concert at times, <laughs> but it was uh, it it all came together beautifully, and it added to like the atmosphere and the emotion that we we were all feeling, both good and bad, as uh, fans. So I, I just think uh, the the lights. I mean, it did something to me, especially in the I think it was the fourth quarter when it just the whole stadium was red. Right. That was amazing. My, my takeaway, and I wrote this, was that I don't know if it was 
the difference in the game, the atmosphere and the fans, but it played a huge part. I mean, what do you think? Like as a, as a player, do you think like legitimately that, I mean, with the false starts, the botched snaps for Notre Dame, that's one thing. You know? Yeah, I totally agree, man. That fan, uh, just the, the crowd noise, all those things um, make such a huge difference. If you're a guy that's playing at Notre Dame and you're a freshman and you've never played in the SEC before or been in an SEC type environment, and you're in that stadium in a moment like that, and you're not really sure about the plays, and you're not really sure about your ability, trust me, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in your uh, just how fast you play. It makes a difference in how much you have to think. And you know defensively, if you have to think, it's a wrap. Like you, you want to be able to react, and you want to be able to play as fast as possible, especially on that level. So when you have the crowd noise and you can't quite hear, like the biggest thing, people don't realize is when it comes to defense or offense, it's all about communication. And so if you can't, you know, if your your middle linebacker is trying to get you to call and you can't quite hear and you have to kind of guess on what to do on that play, I mean, it's, it slows you down. It throws everything off whack. So, um, yeah, that that was a, that played a huge factor in the game, I believe. Just the, the penalties, all those things add up. And when a game is that close, it comes down to a couple different plays, which – a penalty can make the difference in the game or can add to making the difference in the game. So. It came, and the crowd played such a role in a game that Georgia won by less than was expected. I mean, a lot of people thought Georgia was going to roll over Notre Dame, so the, the question, the takeaway for a lot of people, or the question about what their takeaway should be has been, does this say more about Notre Dame is better? Then people gave him credit for, and Georgia came away with a really good win, and Georgia's still going to have a really great season. Or is this a concern about what kind of team Georgia is, that maybe they're not as good? I, is it still too early? I mean, in my mind, Rennie, I think it's still a little too early to draw any conclusion. Yes, it's definitely early. And, uh, you know, there's. I think it's a little bit of both because we have to realize as Georgia and where we are right now, being a number three, I, and I've been there before where we – you know, 2008, we're ranked number two or uh, going into that season, had a lot of hype. We have to realize that we're going to get everybody's best shot. We're everybody's Super Bowl. So just based off of that, where we are, uh, we're that, that team that we're used to seeing on that film and they're making those mistakes, like they're not going to make those mistakes against us. They're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder. A lot of those guys are guys who uh, on those opposing teams are guys who wanted to play at University of Georgia and they hate our guts because that coach didn't, you know, give them a call back or they didn't get that offer because they uh, recruited some other kid who they felt like they were better than. So there's just all those internal things going on. So you, you definitely didn't get that other team's best shot. But at the same time for us, um, I think it definitely is an eye opener uh, as far as those areas that we need to work on. We definitely got exposed in, in different positions across the field. So I'm, I'm sure Kirby's going to be chewing some guys out. He's going to be you know, get, getting guys uh, in that mindset of, hey, you better not get comfortable. You better not think you've arrived in any type of way. I'm, I'm sure that conversation is definitely going to be had. Where do you think Georgia got exposed the most? Oh, man, without a doubt, I think we got exposed with our cornerbacks. When those uh, and the guys went down, we know uh, both, of, both of our starters. But at the same time, even when they, when they were in, like we had some uh, miscommunications. We had some guys that were left open. Um, I didn't really see us do a good job of getting off of blocks in the perimeter. So that, uh, and, you know, when you get down the stretch, you start playing some of those really, really talented wide receivers, like guys at Bama. Um, 
it's it's really gonna cost us, you know, in those those big plays, especially those explosive plays. We want to limit those, and so I think that was one of the areas uh, we got exposed. And then also, with just our play calling at times, it, it was not consistent, and we weren't able to open up uh, the playbook like we did in in the previous games. I think we kind of got conservative, um, especially in the beginning. So. Um, yeah, those are two areas that I think we kind of got exposed in. Well, on the corners, it, it'll be interesting to see how quickly they can get Stokes and Campbell back. Now, Campbell was competing with DJ Daniel for a starting spot in the preseason anyway, and Campbell won it. I don't, I'm not sure how much of a gap there is. I think DJ Daniel did okay in this game. Then Tyreek McGee went in when Eric Stokes got hurt. If neither of these guys are hurt long-term, that's good, but I'm 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 kind of like you. I'm not convinced yet on either of those guys. I mean, Tyson Campbell was he struggled last year and was pulled from the starting lineup at one point uh, near the end of the year. Um, so the question is, how much better has he gotten as a sophomore? And Eric Stokes looked really good near the end of last year and has looked really good the first three games and before he got hurt. But has he been playing? You know, what what's been the quality of competition? Um, now, he did play against Alabama in the SEC Championship and did well. Alabama, of course, attacked the other side of the middle of the field a lot in that game. So, yeah, that's a that's an open question. It, interesting you mentioned the play calling because I thought when I rewatched the game yesterday, I, I was impressed with the way Coley adjusted in the second half. The first half, though, there was this – perception that a lot of people had because of the teams Georgia played the first three weeks that they were holding all this stuff back until Notre Dame and even Kirby Smarty when he was asked that said well that that's not really the way we think and I, I was telling people that too it's like look the offense you're seeing the first three games is basically the offense you're going to see against Notre Dame and probably going forward what they did not do the first three games and the first half against Notre Dame that they did do in the second half that worked was go tempo and I'll be really curious to see how much they do that going forward. Yeah, I think, you know, it, we're early in the season. And that was our first time, I, I really believe, that we got challenged, especially up front. I mean, I, I thought we were going to really destroy them <laughs> uh, when it came to running the ball. And um, when that got stopped, I, I think it really threw us off our game plan, especially early on in the game. But like you said, Coley was able to go in and make those halftime adjustments, and we were able to open things up. In the second half, and you saw uh, saw it spreading the ball around a lot more. I love being able to uh, see, you know, the the everybody get their share. We saw Kager make some huge plays. He stepped up big time. Uh, Demetrius Robertson, he's he's been a consistent player uh, player for us. Um, one guy that I didn't see um, besides our running backs uh, who did get the ball was James Cook. I feel like we could have gotten uh, done a better job of in the ball in his hands because he's a dynamic player that you can basically put anywhere on the field and he's going to make something happen um, but overall you know I, I think that second half was huge for us just being able to make those adjustments come back have a more balanced approach um, getting the ball to Swift he was able to do his thing and, and make some explosive plays and uh, 3-5 as well Brian Herrien he's he's been a consistent guy for us as well he made some big plays so yeah overall I think we did good when we needed to yeah, the, the two guys that people mention, and I've got a lot of questions about why they don't get the ball more, or in Zamir White's case, mm-hmm. you know, didn't touch it at all, is where right. Zamir White and James Cook. I, I think the thing with Zeus is that DeAndre Swift and Brian Herrien did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. I am surprised they didn't mix in Zeus a little bit. Maybe we'll see right. that a little bit going forward, but, but Brian Herrien does a pretty good job. People 
keep wanting to yank him out of the lineup uh, because he's a senior and he's not Zeus or James Cook, but they, they like what Harrion does. Uh, Cook, the, yeah, they you, you see them give him the ball a few times, but they've he's a guy that you don't just hand the ball and you know, run up the middle. He's a guy you've got to design some plays for him, and they're, they're trying to do that, but it seems like they're trying to feel their way around how they best put him in a position to get the ball in space. Yeah, it's easy to say get right. this guy the ball in space, but doing it is a different matter too. Yeah, 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 and it, it's definitely gonna be interested interesting to see how they utilize him because teams are gonna, of course, start to catch on. Like if he's a, if they have him out, lined up wide, they know, uh, like you just said, they're not gonna run him up in the middle, the middle, so they can game plan him and basically take him out the game. Um, so it'll, they're going to have to continue to be more, uh, find more and more creative ways to uh, get the ball in his hands. And as far as Amir White goes, I feel like, you know, when it comes to having those young guys who have the ability, but they haven't been in those big games, I know a lot of times coaches, you know, they'll hesitate to kind of just throw them out there. And, um, you know, because if you, if you throw them out there too fast in a big game like that, they, they have a fumble or uh, anything happens because of this, those game time jitters from being in a big moment like that that can be costly as, as far as their confidence goes and, and things like that. So I believe we definitely are going to see Zamir White later on in the season. And um, for, you know, Brian Harrion, for, uh, you know, for all the, the, the other senior running backs, you can't trade in that level of knowledge that they have. And what I mean by that knowledge is being in those big moments, uh, knowing your assignments, not getting caught up in the environment. So, that's where you'll see the coaches more so lean on those guys to really set the tone. If they don't perform, then you'll see a younger guy step in. Well, Brian Harry had scored a touchdown the first time he ever touched the ball in the Georgia Dome against North Carolina on national television. So, And he's played in national championship, two SEC championships. Yeah, so he, I, I see where the coaches could say, yeah, we're not worried about him in that environment. He's going to do the right thing. And th- there's a larger point here too, Rennie, that – this shows how loaded Georgia is that we're sitting here after a win when the offense played pretty well and saying, well, why didn't they do more with this guy? Why didn't they more do more with this guy? Well, it's because Lawrence Cager had a really good game. We, we didn't even mention George Pickens. He did not get targeted much, and he didn't have any catches after looking like he was about to be the next A.J. Green the first three games, and he still might be. But when you can throw to Lawrence Cager in single coverage on the other side of the field – where you can, when you can get the ball to Demetrius Robertson, Tyler Simmons got some catch. I mean, they they've got a bevy of available talent on this offense. Now, yeah, you're you're exactly right. We we definitely have so much talent that it really, I feel like it's going to start to be about who's hot that night. And um, that I believe too, Fromm does a great job of spreading the ball around, and he knows, you know, he has that chemistry with the guys, and he felt that Cager was his guy for that night, so he went with them, and then doing Demetrius Robertson and. and I'm still kind of waiting to see what we're doing with the tight ends, you know, how how much action they're going to get this year as well. But um, we're, we're overall doing a good job, and I think week in, week out, we're going to start see uh, start to see Pickens and the, the younger guys, even uh, Dominique Blaylock. He's a guy that's uh, really starting to turn on very quickly. So those younger guys are going to start to really find their stride um, in game time situations because it's one thing that to have that in practice or one thing to have it um, you know, against those lesser teams. But now when you get into those bigger games, that's really where you start to see who the, those gamers are, who the guys who show up, you know, the guys who aren't just, don't just look the part, but they can really go out there and make things happen. And, and 
make those big time plays. So I think these next couple of weeks, uh, we really start to prepare us to see who those guys are. What do you think about the defense other than the corners? You talked about that. What they, they Notre Dame came in with actually very little good reputation running the ball and did not run the ball well. Ian Book put up a lot of passing yards, made some good plays, um, but it still wasn't enough to win. What did you, you think of Georgia's defense and what do you think of it going forward? I think overall we did a good job. Um, you know, once again, the, the questions uh, that kind of arose from me were just in terms of the cornerbacks, their level of play, uh, the, the DBs as a whole, you know, just not leaving those gaps open for like a tight end to, to be wide open or if we're in the, the red zone, uh, making sure that that communication is there because I did, there were a couple of times where we got saved because of a timeout. But uh, against these better teams that we're getting ready to face, we're really going to get exposed. But overall, we did a good job against the run. Um, we made plays when we needed to. Um, guys like... Uh, Name Nicobe uh, Dean stepped in. Yeah, made some big time plays. Um, one another question too was just keeping that contained because that quarterback was able to get loose a little bit when he needed to. So that was kind of a red flag in my eyes. Uh, just making sure that we do a good job of um, you know. And I said Nicobe Dean, but I meant Nolan Smith. He made a big time play in the uh, fourth quarter to get behind that quarterback. But yeah, just making sure that as we go on. Um, these next couple of weeks, doing a good job of keeping keeping contained on those quarterbacks, especially the guys that like to run. Um, but overall, our defense did a good job. I believe we just got to build on it. It's interesting you mentioned the contain because that was my main question about Georgia's defense against Ian Book because of his running ability and how much he would extend plays. And when I said that, I mainly meant as in – running himself he didn't actually do that much it seemed like Georgia was spying him on sometimes on some plays or had a guy like on outside contain so he didn't run but did you get a sense that book was still extending plays because Georgia wasn't getting near him and he had time and was sometimes making time with his feet yeah he definitely had time you know we, we got pressure on him uh, when he came down to it when the game was on the line but Throughout the course of the game, you definitely saw him um, look pretty comfortable back there, uh, which is a problem. And then he had the opportunity to extend plays by running to that outside. Um, even though we, we did get heat on him, we didn't really force that throw uh, until the towards the end of the game. That's where you saw the, the interceptions and the different things that took place. So I think that's something we're definitely going to have to build on, um, you know, in these next couple weeks. How much of that is schematic? How much of that is personnel what do you think it's a it's a little bit of both man um because you know if you run in a blitz and whatnot it may schematically kind of uh if you run a blitz up the middle let's say it may open things up on the outside depending on what type of stunt a defensive lineman is running so sometimes it can be schematic and then other times it's just what players you have in there guys get aggressive sometimes lose that contain you know if they're peeking on the inside uh so you you just never know man it, it's one of, especially in a big game like that, um, it's very easy to, to get caught up in, in the the emotions and, you know, you're, you're trying so hard to make something happen to where you get out of whack as far as your technique. I've definitely been there before. Let me ask you about this because there's been so much talk of havoc rate and that's because Kirby and the team have preached it. And I've wondered whether it could backfire, to put it bluntly, like you, you, you're trying too hard 
to make a negative play, to make a big play, and that because really when Georgia has done well in a lot of these games over the last few years, that you know, you've had Mel Tucker and the defense, and it, it it seemed like a little bit more of a bend but don't break. What, what do you think? Did what do you think of the whole idea of havoc rate, and how did you see that play? Because if you look at pure havoc rate against Notre Dame, there wasn't much, but it was still enough to win the game and the defense have a pretty good day. Yeah, for me, I think the biggest thing is when you talk about creating that havoc, you know, you really have to have all the guys on the same page, making sure that they're staying in their lanes, they're staying in the gap, because it's one thing to try to create that havoc uh, where you're going full speed and where you're under control, but it's another thing if you're trying to create that havoc and you're taking on somebody's gaps, you're, you're in the wrong position, which creates a lot of gaps in the defense. So that's where it can uh, kind of uh, cause those problems. So I think as especially these young guys like Nolan Smith, as they're getting opportunities, making sure that they're not just because you can kind of get to the point where you're trying so hard to to make a play that you almost become kind of selfish. You forget that there's guys who, who are depending on you to be in a position like if that ball squeezes out the back, you know, backside um, that you have to cover that. You can't just uh, go out there and just be chasing the quarterback, you know, or if you have a guy. Um, let's say um, if you're a linebacker, you have a wide receiver that's uh, that you're supposed to cut off. Or you're supposed to have a man-to-man, you're supposed to have a running back man-to-man, but you're going after the quarterback. Um, all those little things happen when you, you're you getting excited and you're trying to make a big play. So I think it's all about having that balance of being aggressive but being disciplined as well because teams are definitely going to be looking at that, at how they can throw us off, whether it's through play action, whether it's to run the screen play. Um, they're going to be looking at any way where they can uh, just throw off our, our balance and use our aggressiveness against us. Guy that had a good game, led Georgia in tackles, was Tay Crowder. Uh, he and Monty Rice, it, you played in a 4-3, so you played a different position, basically, at Georgia. Um, but it, in this 3-4, which a lot of times ends up being like a 3-3-5 and whatnot, it, what do you think of these inside linebackers? Because they've got – talent and it I guess it goes for outside linebacker too because Nolan Smith is coming off the bench Jermaine Johnson's coming off the bench but how do you think these guys are playing at linebacker especially these veterans it seems like guys like Tay Crowder and Monty Rice are helping clean up a lot of plays that you know maybe frees up other guys to try for havoc yeah no nah, that I think they're doing a great job Tay Crowder I mean when he he came in early on he was kind of one of those guys that you didn't really know where he fit and I think um, I think Roquan had a lot to do with that as well. You know, they I know they're really, really close and, and um, you know, bounce off of each other, but he's really starting to take on that role of being a consistent playmaker. Him and, and Monty Rice, you know, I feel like they've done as good a job as you can do. And it helps having the D line that we have, guys like Jordan Davis. I mean, that guy's just a, what we call a space eater. He's a, a huge guy. Uh, with that 3 4 defense, you need those big nose tackles uh, who can take up. You know, two guys at a time uh, who can leave uh, a linebacker like them uh, open, wide open to make plays in that defense. You you don't want to have a lot of linemen who can climb up to that second level and get to you. So I think when you see a guy like Tate Crowder um, making a play in the backfield, that has a lot to do with it. Is that D line, and that's where it starts. You know, just like you got your, your running backs, it, it starts with the O line. Um, for linebackers, it starts with that D-line and, and what they're able to, to do and how well they can penetrate at the line of scrimmage. Um, but overall, I believe they're doing an amazing job and they've continued to grow. And then we have younger guys behind them 
as well, uh, Channing Tindall, who are coming up as well, who, who are you know doing some good things. And I'm excited to see what N'Kobe Dean does as well. I know he's he's waiting and chopping at the bits to get his opportunity. Yeah, people keep wanting to get him in there, and I keep reminding them, Roquan didn't start as a freshman. Sometimes that's a position inside linebacker that you need experience. And it, it's better to have someone who, like Tay Crowder and Monty Rice, who have played and have seen – these plays and know how to react in that split second because that split second can make all the difference. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Like at, at the linebacker position, that's the last thing you want to do is being there and, and, and having to think, you know, at, at this point, especially with where they are, it's all about reacting. They've seen these guys before they've seen these formations before they've been in those situations, uh, especially with the games on the line where they don't get caught up in it. You know, they don't lose themselves. So, uh, all those things make a difference. Um, no matter how talented you are, it's, it's a, it gets to be a mental game and a very cerebral game uh, playing linebacker. I know when most people watch it, they're just thinking guys are just going full speed and, and, and they're just hitting whatever is moving. But there's just so many things that happen, especially uh, pre-snap when you get, uh, you may know what to do like a guy like N'Kobe Dean, but then what happens when somebody goes in motion and the formation changes and it's like all of a sudden, dang. You know, did we go over this or am I sure about my assignment? And that's where you can kind of play slower as a linebacker and it can affect your performance. But, but yeah, I think he's definitely in the next couple of weeks going to be ready to go. And we'll start to see a little, a little bit more of him as the season goes on. All right. So before we wrap up here, we've done a lot of football analysis and I've been kind of leaning on. Yeah. You. Let, let's go into the two flashpoints that have kind of emerged from this. Uh, one, let's start with the real kind of almost fun one which is was Notre Dame faking injuries uh I don't know you already know <laughs> <laughs> you you think they were. they were yeah heck yeah, yeah. now that's <laughs> just from a player's perspective I mean I could see one or two of them but yeah after that second I was like okay they they definitely prepared for this you know find a ways to throw us off our, our tempo and you know not allow us to get too much momentum and I could see if it was hot in Athens that night, but it was not hot at all. Like it was a perfect night for football. So uh, they couldn't say it was cramps or anything like that. And then the guy just got straight up and walked off. Like he didn't even limp or anything like that. So I was just like, okay, this is getting kind of ridiculous. Well, the first guy there, he's being evaluated for a concussion now, Brian Kelly said. And if you watch two plays before that, he did take a hit to the head. So, you know, you can get a hit to the head and it takes a play or two, especially when the offense is going tempo, you don't really have a chance to stop and say, I need to come out, but he eventually returned to the game. So the bigger question for me there might be, why did Notre Dame let the guy back in the game? Yeah. 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 If he returns to the game, I was going to say, if he stayed out the rest of the game, then I'll be like, okay, I understand that. But if he returned and that's definitely, uh, that's definitely a false little, uh, theatrics, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And the second guy, my read on it was that he got poked in the eye. And to quote somebody who I'm not sure he wants me to quote him, so I won't. But he decided to soccer injury it up a little bit. As in, oh, your eye is poked? Okay, hey, let's play this. You know, let's, <laughs> let's take advantage of this. Um, and, yeah, yeah, Brian Kelly said afterwards he had cramps. Well, uh, <laughs> nah, nah, I ain't mind that. Man. He also came back in the game. Um, but what does get lost in this is, is uh, that those were linebackers and Notre Dame's depth at linebacker is not good. So 
they probably could have chosen two better players to fake injuries if that's what they were doing. So if they were faking it, they probably are going to work on that over the next few weeks and saying, no, you're going to go down because you're the weak link. Uh, <laughs> did that did that ever happen, or would you be telling tales out of school if, if you confess now that y'all engaged? Oh, no, nah, it, it happens. Yeah. It definitely happens. I mean, if it, if the game's on the line like that, you down by a touchdown and, you know, the team's – or a, a team comes out in a formation that you haven't seen before, like we definitely are taught in different situations to, you know, to go down or if, if it's, you know, something where it's out of our control or we get, um, let's say, bad communication or just something's totally out of whack. This is like our mayday kind of call. And the coach has a, usually has a signal that he'll give. And, uh, I mean, they do it at every level. It's not just college. They do it in the pros as well too. So it happens. I've always wondered then what happens when the trainer comes out to talk to him. Does the player immediately go, "Yeah, I'm I'm faking this," and the train and like it, it seems like it's a y'all should win or whoever's in that huddle, the trainer and the player should win Oscars for acting like something real is going on. Yeah, I mean the trainer is always taught you know to see everything as as what it is. If a player goes down, then it's something serious. So. I believe the the trainer typically doesn't know. It's usually something between the coach and the player, but um, yeah, it's it happens. So what the player is saying something like, "Uh, my knee, it really hurts, but I'd probably be okay." And the trainers, the trainer's not in on the on the fake, is what you're saying. Yeah, the trainer isn't definitely isn't in on the on the fake. Um, just from my experience, you know, he's gonna treat that player as if he was hurt, as if he tore his ACL. It's going to evaluate them the same way, and that's part of it, you know, is um, getting everybody on the outside to believe as well. So basically the way you feel about this is Notre Dame was faking, but that's they're not the first team that's ever done that, and they're not going to be the last. Yeah, they're definitely not going to be the last. I, I definitely feel like because of the game, the, the tempo, because of, it was because of the timing. That's why I feel the way I do about it, um, because we, are, we were starting to get on a roll um, at the times that it did happen or it was after a big play. So um, that's why I feel like part of it was a little bit of that, you know. The, the last one, the other flashpoint was Kirby Smart's decision to kick the field goal, which you, you, it could have been debated a little bit at the time. I think I remember thinking, hmm, this is a close call. Uh, but then when Notre Dame has the ball and it's 23-17, everyone in the stadium is going, ooh, <laughs> Well, I don't know. Any any thoughts yourself on whether it was a bad thing to do or or what? I mean, for how our defense was playing, I I know Kirby wants to. He's a defensive guy. He wants to put the ball, you know, in the hands or the the game in the hands of the defense and challenge his guys um, to make things happen to go to go three and out and get the ball back in our hands. So I think in uh, you know from knowing his mindset and how he approaches things, I think it was the right call. He has to trust his guts and. As we all know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So it's it's one of those things. If it goes well, then you're a hero. If it goes bad, then it's like, ah, you know, you should have done this. Should have, could have, would have, right? Yeah, I I think that, and I didn't realize this. I guess heat of the moment uh, at the time, but I didn't realize it until I went back and rewatched it. But that series, so fourth down was the field goal. Third down was Jake Fromm's scramble on third and eleven. First and second down, they ran the ball up the middle and got stuffed. 
So if you're Kirby Smart, you're thinking the chances of us getting that one yard are not great. And so I think that figured into it too. I'm not defending the decision, but I think that played into it. And I don't know, it's something that by the time this podcast airs, we get Kirby Smart after tonight's practice, and I'm going to try and ask about general decision-making. But he notably did not sound very defensive about it after the game. He, he agreed it was a tough call, uh, one that could go either way. And it's just, I guess, Randy, it's just something that you deal with as a head coach. It's, it's, it's not a it's, – I think it's a 50-50 call that we're talking – yeah, we're talking about now because of Notre Dame coming back the way they did. Yeah, yeah, it really is a 50-50 call, and it's a game of momentum. And you got to be able to feel that as a coach. You know, if your team isn't hitting on all those cylinders or, you know, you're not able to get those effective plays in certain areas on the field, then that's part of it is instinctively uh, being able to trust yourself and making that gut call and being okay with whatever happens. And it's, it's definitely a tough place to be. It's easy to uh, criticize it or critique it from the sidelines, but when you're in that moment, man, it's, it's real. It's tough. And also when you have Rodrigo Blankenship, it's a lot easier to say, Oh yeah, you for know, sure. Yeah, we're we're gonna get three points when I make this decision, so I'm gonna do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Rennie. So, any closing thoughts as we wrap up uh, our our debut together here? Man, I think the biggest thing you know I learned from this game is we we got a lot of work to do. We have uh, a lot of talent, obviously. Got a lot of depth. We got a lot of guys who have, who we have yet to see really emerge. Some younger guys. I'm, I'm excited to see. Uh, offensively, um, the continued growth of guys like Dominique Blaylock and uh, even George Pickens, even though he, he got a few opportunities and wasn't able to capitalize it, I think he has a lot more in him. Uh, I'm excited to see Zamir White and some other guys get some get some shining in these next couple of weeks. And uh, defensively, uh, we definitely have a lot of work to do, uh, you know, especially with our cornerbacks. we got to figure that out fast. Um, our linebackers got to con- continue to be consistent. Um, defensive backs conti- uh, need to continue to communicate in the right ways. Uh, but I think we're heading in the right direction. I think we learned a lot about ourselves this week facing that real competition. And uh, we also have injuries that we have to overcome. And I get asked about it all the time, you know, what's going to make the difference in this season? What's going to help us to ultimately win? And I think uh, it's going to be that leadership, you know, how well we're able to bounce back from um, adversity and, and different things like that, how well we're able to maintain or handle the success uh, but then overall, it's, it comes down to injuries and that you can't really control. So those are my thoughts on the game. But I'm excited to see these next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I think that we because the question everybody has is, is Georgia going to win it all? And did the Notre Dame game change my mind either way? I don't know that it did, to be honest. I, I, I don't know whether Notre Dame is just better than expected. And that should be a game that Georgia should be ecstatic that it won no matter what or whether Notre Dame showed these flaws in Georgia that are going to emerge in a bad way later in the year. I, I, I hate to, I, I just don't have a hot take on it, to be honest. I'm sorry. I've my own take, which is, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's still early. So the good thing is we have the chance to learn from it and it wasn't uh, costly to where, you know, it cost us a, a L or anything, a, a loss. So, um, I think we're we're heading in the right direction. And then another thing we have to do is 
uh, limit those really costly mistakes. Like that's one thing we didn't talk about was that drop punt, uh, which was a huge momentum shifter. You know, um, when we start to play these uh, teams, the South Carolinas, the Floridas, um, we could very easily, like I believe we should have beat them by two, three touchdowns. But if you give a team like that confidence, it's going to turn into a game and we're going to continue to see that if we make mistakes like that. So I think that's another thing to watch out for. I don't think Georgia should worry much about the next three, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Kentucky. But the way Saturday went with Georgia playing Notre Dame close and with Florida blowing out Tennessee, not somewhat sloppily but still doing it, does make me wonder about that November 2nd tilt in Jacksonville. About That, that game could be pretty interesting. All right, well, Rennie, it's been a pleasure to do this first podcast with you. Maybe a damn good podcast when you were talking. Probably not when I was talking, but... <laughs> nah, you did uh, great. All right, well, thank you, Rennie, and we'll be on next week to, I guess, preview Tennessee for what it will be worth. I'm excited to see, like I said, what the dogs are going to do these next couple of weeks, and uh, to the fans out there... Uh, Thank you all for your support. The once again, the atmosphere at the stadium was crazy. It was I, I wanted to run out there, and I, I kept telling the guys, "Hey, just give me some pads, man. I'm gonna <laughs> strap up, get back on the field." I mean, I, I had goosebumps just, uh, and I was jealous. You know, the guy I, I ran up on uh, Richard LeCount and, and Monty Rice. I was like, "Man, y'all lay somebody out for me." Uh, so it, to the fans out there, just keep showing that support. Just keep. Uh, keep this season as exciting as it already has been so go dogs all right everybody talk to you later in the week with jeff schultz and next week back here with rennie